Good morning, City Church. How are we doing this morning? Feeling good? It's a rainy, chilly morning, and sometimes when that rain comes down, it's just, it sets a mood in here, so I just need you to absorb it, but stay with me. Don't fall asleep, okay? Um, I am loving this series that we are in right now in the dry and barren and sometimes weary places that we can find ourselves in this life. How can we stay connected to and be planted by streams of living water that restore and refresh and keep us grounded through the ups and downs of this side of heaven. We're really taking these big overview words or seasons or stages that we find ourselves in life and digging deeper into them. Our creative teams have done an incredible job of giving us things to hold on to even throughout the week and dig deeper in them and countdown films and original songs. And I'm so proud of all of those people. If you have not dove deeper into those things, if you haven't picked up your magazine, if you haven't went over to the gallery wall and absorbed it all and maybe bid on your favorite um, art piece, then please step into that. Um, It was created for us to really immerse ourselves during um, this series. And so far we have went over thirst, devotion, wonder, mundane, and today, overflow. I've been looking forward to this idea of overflow, but here's the thing about big overview words. There's a lot of different ways that you can take it, and it can get a little bit theologically tricky whenever you're taking one word and kind of building scripture around it. We really like to take the text here at City Church and just let the text speak for what it says and then just walk through it kind of line by line and break it down. But as I got into the weeds of studying where scripture points us to imagery of overflow or its synonyms abundance or more than enough, I came across something that I really had never put together before or really fully absorbed or noticed, and that's where I would like to land the plane and do some digging this morning. So here's the question that I hope we all have a solid answer to by the time we leave this morning. What does it mean that God is our shepherd And how does that lead to overflow? To answer this, we will be in, as you may have already guessed, Psalm 23 and John 10, two very familiar passages about God as shepherd. You heard them read side by side this morning, and I hope that you did not just glaze over them as familiar passages. That can be the tendency, because most of us have probably heard those passages a lot before. Some of us probably even have Psalm 23 set to memory. And when that is the case, there is a danger of passively believing that we have gotten fully everything that these words have to give us. But I can say with certainty that we have not. And it's not because I have something super profound to share with you this morning that you haven't heard before. It's because the word is living and active. And one of the things that that means is it speaks to us in and out of every season in unexpected ways in new and fresh ways. And frankly, Knowing things and actually believing them to the point that it changes us are two completely different things. I believe one of the greatest needs in the church is for us to, for people to really see and really believe all of the things that we say and profess and sing that we say and that we believe. Because knowing them and being able to recite them are great but it doesn't really mean that we actually believe them to the point that it changes how we think and therefore how we act. There's something here that as we see two places in scripture, we read about abundance tied with shepherd imagery. 
Nothing is an accident if we believe all that we believe about the word of God and its power and its authority over our lives. And so what does it mean for us in the desert that regular life can sometimes bring? How can we as the people of God, as apprentices of Jesus, overflow to the point of spilling over with more of his spirit and all of the fruit that that brings with it into our lives as we recognize God as shepherd. Three points that I would like to break down with you this morning. Number one, God is our all-sufficient shepherd. Number two, we are his sheep. And number three, his promise is fullness to the point of overflow. Number one, God is our all-sufficient shepherd. An ultimate freedom that we have as individuals is the power to select what we will allow or require our minds to dwell upon and to think about. And by think, we mean all of the ways in which we are aware of things, including our memories and our perceptions and our beliefs. And the focus of our thoughts significantly affects the rest of our lives and it evokes feelings that frame our world and motivates our actions. And as A.W. Tozer so beautifully puts it, what comes to our minds when we think about God is the most important thing about us. What do we think about when we think about God? As we grow in our knowledge of God, we bring the reality of God into our lives by making contact with him through our minds and through what we set our minds upon, dwelling upon him, dwelling upon what we know about him. Our actions are then based upon that understanding that results from that knowledge of him. So we can think rightly about God and we can also think wrongly about God and that in turn affects how we live. What we turn our minds to is a key to our lives. As Mary Oliver says, our attention leads to devotion. Worship and joy start with the capacity to turn our mind's attention towards the God who is always with us. And we know, and we have said this time and time again, what we give our attention to is what we become. And we don't have time to stay here for long, but many of you know our attention is what everyone craves. Our attention is the commodity that everyone wants. People are vying for it. Our phones are vying for it. All of our subscriptions are vying for our attention, and we are a distracted people. One of my favorite quotes from John Ortberg, he says this, for many of us, the great danger is not that we will renounce our faith. It is that we will become so distracted and rushed and preoccupied that we will settle for a mediocre version of it. We will just skim our lives instead of actually living them. I think that is so, so true. I was so convicted when I read that for the first time. It's not, especially here in the Bible, but it's not about renouncing our faith necessarily. It's about just settling for a mediocre version of it. And so we turn our attention to God. What does your mind, thoughts, experience lead you to dwell upon, to think about when thinking about God as shepherd? God as shepherd is one of the ways that God's character is revealed to us in scripture. And as I said, we can think rightly about God and we can also think wrongly and we must think about God in ways that match what God is really like. There must be a harmony between our ideas about God and his true character because without it, there will always be a disconnect that will lead to a lack of true confidence in him. 
In the third chapter of Exodus, we find Moses responding to God's assignment to head back to where he grew up and free his people. And Moses basically says, okay, so I'm going to go back. Who do I say has sent me? And God responds with a unique answer or more like a statement. He says, I am that I am. Tell the people of Israel, I am has sent me to you. This is not just a name. This is a statement of the nature of God as a self-sustaining, self-sufficient, all-powerful being. I am that I am, meaning my being sustains my being. I need no external forces in order to keep me going and to keep me existing. My being sustains my being. This is something that only God can say. And this God has also named himself our shepherd, your shepherd, my shepherd. If we are starting with an inaccurate or incomplete picture of God, then we can never fully surrender to him as our provider, our shepherd. When we start by setting our minds and our attention on the one true God, on his nature and his character, when we can fully lean into the fullness of who he is and what we have access to because of his fullness, we, we can begin to understand this life of overflow that flows from this knowledge of God, a life that truly lacks nothing. How do we, so how do we learn about God then? How do we think rightly about God? There are many different ways that we can immerse ourselves into scripture and see his character and his nature revealed. But when asking this question, how do we learn about God? The answer is we learn about God primarily in and through the message that came in and through Jesus Christ. So let's look again at the words of Jesus in John 10 and what he reveals about himself as God and shepherd. First, he reveals that he is the door. Verse seven, so Jesus again said to them, truly, truly, I say to you, I am the door of the sheep. All who came before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not listen to them. I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. He is the entrance. He is our way into the abundant kingdom life. It is only through him that we enter into the fold and in him that we find the pasture that he promises that we'll talk about in just a little bit. Through Jesus, we see the message of the gospel. He is the way and the truth and the life. This is why the preaching of the gospel of Jesus Christ is absolutely fundamental. We preach and teach his gospel to let people know the good news about God and move them to thinking rightly about God and who he is and all he has come to do and accomplish on our behalf. He is our way. But when preaching the message of the gospel of Jesus, we have to do so. When we are preaching that, we need to do so in its fullness as Jesus came and presented it and embodied it. Dallas Willard says this, the gospel that Jesus himself proclaimed, manifested, and taught was about more than his death for the forgiveness of our sins, as important as that is. It was about the kingdom of God, God's immediate availability his with us-ness that makes a life without lack possible. There's so much more to our relationship with God than just his dealing with our guilt and sin. Once we have been forgiven, 
We are meant to live in the fullness of the life that Jesus came to give us. The fullness of life that Jesus came to give us. He is the door. And the second thing that Jesus reveals about himself in John 10 is that he is our good shepherd. Another way to translate this Greek word shepherd is pastor. Jesus is our pastor. We see this all throughout the New Testament under the word shepherd. Jesus is our chief pastor. We are under his care and his leadership, and we can trust his care and his leadership. He goes on to reveal in this passage why we can trust him and his care and his pastoralship over our lives because he knows us intimately. He will never leave us, and he will never forsake us, and he lays down his life for us. This is a trustworthy leader, a faithful pastor, a good shepherd. Let this familiar truth sink in this morning. He is greater and more ultimate than we can imagine, all sufficient and lacking nothing. My being sustains my being. I am that I am, and he is personal and intimate and with us in all things, leading and guiding if we will only surrender. Which leads us right into point number two. If God is our all-sufficient shepherd, then we are his sheep. Here's the deal about sheep. Most of the time when I've heard this um, spoken on, I've always heard this story talked about in a way that really talks down about the sheep, really plays up how dumb and passive and needy they are. And while yes, this is true, I'm not gonna deny that, it is true, but I don't believe that this is really like the chief image or point that I think Jesus wanted to focus on in this story. Here's what I think. Sheep must be led. Sheep must be led. Without leadership, they will surely die. This is true of actual sheep, and this is true of us. We are incapable of finding our way, our own way, into the kingdom of God as we have already discussed. He is the door. He is our way. A life without the leading of our shepherd will surely lead to destruction of our life in many different ways, both tangible and spiritual. But this is not meant to be a knock on us, okay? But rather a beautiful reality that lets us off the performance hook. We don't have to have it all together. We won't have, to, we won't have it all together, so there's no reason to try to hold the world together in your hands because it is impossible. We will not be able to do it. We are meant to live and grow, not into higher levels of independence, but into deeper levels of dependence on our shepherd. But we don't like to be weak. And I get this, I don't like to be weak. I don't like to be perceived as weak or not knowing all I need to know. I understand this feeling that we don't like this, but here's the truth. If dependence is the objective, weakness is an advantage. I'm gonna say that again, because it's good. If dependence is the objective, weakness is an advantage. And this is so counter to every other development, area of development in our life. Bodie and I are really like covering the full span of parenting stages right now. Our oldest kid, um, Ella, is dual enrolled. So she's taking some college classes while also being a junior in high school. And so on the same day before school started, we had college orientation in the morning and then kindergarten open house for Micah that night. <laughs> Send prayers is what I'm trying to say. 
And so what we expect from each of them is different based upon their um, level of development, okay? We're really what we expect from the girls is different than what we expect from Micah. Micah can grab his own snack, but he can't make his own meal. The girls are pretty much capable of doing all of the household things at this point of their life. The quality of those things is very questionable, but they can at least manage it, you know? And it's because they're about to leave our house soon. They're gonna be gone in just a little bit, okay? And we would love for them to survive once they're outside of our house. And so we expect for them to do some things. The really simple, boiled it all the way down goal is that the more they grow, the less they need us, practically. But this is not our reality when it comes to our life with God. Sheep must be led, and we have the only true pastor that will never let us down, the perfect protector to guide us in every step that we take. And because we are sheep, we were made to be led. It's in our nature. It's in our nature to be led. So what a gift. Our weakness is an advantage. We serve a shepherd that says, I know that you're praying for that thorn in your flesh to go, but trust me, you need it. My grace is sufficient to you. You need to need me. And so I'm gonna keep it there. We don't like this and that's a hard reality, but our weakness is an advantage and we serve a shepherd who knows this. And because of this, because of our nature, because of how we were made, sheep are very trusting and very loyal to the voice of the shepherd. And we know because Jesus tells us this in John 10 that we know his voice. Robert Benson says, I am convinced that the voice that whispered us into being still whispers within us and all creation. I am dead certain of it sometimes, terrified of it at other times, and longing for it at all times. The silence that so often seems to overcome me is more likely a matter of my not trusting my own ears than it is a matter of the voice having gone suddenly, inexplicably silent. When Bodhi and I we're youth pastors um, together back in the day. One of our claims to fame was this big Survivor event that we would put on each and every year. And I, Survivor was my favorite show, so we based it off of that. We would split the youth group up into tribes, and we would do different challenges all throughout the day or the night, depending on the event. And then at the end, one tribe was named the Ultimate Survivors. And so one of the challenges that we did multiple years because we really liked it was what the tribe would nominate a caller and then the rest of the tribe would be blindfolded. And so they would have to, the blindfolded people would have to listen for their caller to guide them through this obstacle course while avoiding all of the hazards along the way that we had set up to them. It was chaos, there was lots of people yelling, and what the team had to do was tune in their voice to their leader and listen to their voice and trust that voice even though they couldn't see. So three steps, three steps, three steps. Okay, stop, move to the right, move to the right, move to the right. They were listening to them and trusting their voice. The key to this challenge was recognizing that voice and trusting it. This is what we have to do. In the midst of all of the chaos and noise and voices of this world, we have to learn to recognize the voice of our shepherd and trust that voice. Mark Sayers in his book, A Non-Anxious Presence, put this principle in simple words. Detection precedes direction. Voice detection precedes my direction. He goes on to say this, to partner with God 
as he brings renewal in the world, in the systems and organizations where we live and lead, we must learn to detect his voice before moving forward. This is a countercultural act in an anxious system which demands actions, quick fixes, and fast-acting remedies for pain. Waiting on the Lord, seeking his voice, is an act of revolutionary stillness. I love the confidence in which John 10 makes this statement. The sheep know his voice. We know his voice. So often hearing the voice of the Lord is followed by so many questions. I just shared that I've got two high school girls and I literally feel sometimes like an audible ticking clock in the back of my mind. Like our time is so limited, they're gonna be leaving. And obviously we talked about the practical things that we wanna want them to know, but my heart for them, number one on my list, is that before they leave our house, they learn to recognize the voice of the Lord for themselves, learning how to trust that voice for themselves before they're out under my care and under my house. But it's hard, it's hard to kind of teach that. And so we're walking kind of through that with them. And a few months ago, Ella was working on a special birthday present for her best friend for her 18th birthday. And this friend was about to go off to college and so it felt like an extra special gift. And I knew that she was kind of warring over it and figuring out what she wanted to give her. One Sunday morning, I was just you know here doing my thing and I couldn't shake this idea that we were supposed to, as a family, get Amaya a Bible for her birthday. And I knew that that's what the Lord was leading me to do in that direction, but didn't really know any other details. So I asked Ella if she thought that that would be a good thing for us as a family to do. And she said she thought it was, that she didn't have one currently. And so we decided to get one and we decided to highlight all of our favorite verses and um, give it to her on her birthday. And the night before we were set to go purchase the Bible, Ella was texting back and forth with her friend and they were just talking about her birthday coming up and Ella was like, what do you want? She was putting together the rest of her gift and Amaya said, I don't really know what I could ask for. Really the only thing that I could ask for is a Bible. And Ella goes, mom, in the way only a teenage girl can. (laughs) I'm not in on the conversation up until this point. She fills me in on what happened and the look of shock and also belief in Ella's face, I instantly knew the sweetness of the Lord in this leading for this Bible because I knew that this Bible was as much for Ella as it was for Amaya. Ella knew immediately, God really speaks and he cares about the things that I care about. What a gift. We can so often overthink this hearing the voice of the Lord and I totally get it. I still question it. Not all of my stories end up with a beautiful little bow like this one, I can promise you. But here's the deal. If we trust the truth of his word, then we can be confident in this. God really speaks and he cares about the things that we care about. We are his sheep and the sheep know his voice. God is our all sufficient shepherd and we are his sheep. And last, his promise is fullness to the point of overflow. When you start to just put like, a cold search out there on the internet, like overflow sermon or sermon on overflow. I'm gonna be honest with you, what tends to fire back is kind of really a bad version of the prosperity gospel, all right? If you do this and this, then you will prosper goods, money, pleasing circumstances in the way that the world would measure. This is obviously not what we believe, so when it comes to the promise 
of overflow, what do we, what do we mean? And really, it all boils down to the fullness of our understanding of point number one and the all-sufficient shepherd. One more quote from Dallas Willard, and if you want a deep dive on Psalm 23, his book, Life Without Lack, is amazing, so pick that up. He says this, there is absolutely nothing that God lacks. We must understand this, because the overflowing sufficiency that we will experience when Yahweh is our shepherd lies in the all-sufficiency of the shepherd himself. If we do not understand the all-sufficiency of the shepherd, we will never experience that sufficiency in relationship to him. What we need, God has in infinite supply. What we need, God has in infinite supply. When we fully understand and know the shepherd in all his fullness and all of his glory, it puts everything else in its proper place. And it opens us up to a life in which we find a God who is more than capable of supplying all of our needs. Paul knew this on a deep level. And we see this played out in the New Testament. And we also see it played out in this, his letter to the Philippians, which we're going to read a portion of here in just a second. As he was thanking them for their gift, he says in Philippians 4, 10 through 13, I rejoiced in the Lord greatly that now at length you have revived your concern for me. You were indeed concerned for me, but you had no opportunity. Not that I am speaking of being in need, for I have learned whatever situation I am to be content. I know how to be brought low, and I know how to abound. In any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. How many of you had that last verse written inside of your basketball shoe or like baseball hat or something? Same, same. But that's, that isn't really the bullseye of the message of this text, as you can see. Paul is talking about here his lived experience with the all-sufficient God. While he was grateful for their gift, he could really and truly say that his joy was not dependent on it, that his peace was not dependent on it, that his contentment was not dependent on it. In other words, he didn't need it. He knew as David knew and penned, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. I heard a story the other day of a church that had a portion of their service each time set aside for people in the church to come up and recite portions of scripture that they had set to memory. And one day this young man came up and he was well put together and well educated and his words were fluent and he got up and began to recite Psalm 23 and he did it beautifully. Didn't miss a word, perfect. And when he finished, the crowd cheered. It was beautiful. And he was followed by an elderly gentleman and he was kind of hunkered over from age. He was not educated and so his words were not very fluent and he began to share. The Lord he is my shepherd. I haven't wanted for nothing. All my needs he has done. I've been to some dark places and man, have I had some enemies and he has been there with me so I won't be afraid. 
all of my needs, he has done. He has been good and he is merciful every single time. And I know this isn't the end and he is preparing a place for me and I will live with him one day forever and ever. And by the time he finished, the crowd was weeping. The young man was confused and he went to the pastor and he was like, I don't really understand. I, I said it perfect, that what he said wasn't even Psalm 23, that's not even all of the words. And the pastor said, young man, you know the Psalm, he knows the shepherd. Do we really believe what we say we believe? David and Paul both knew the shepherd and it gave them the confidence to know and to trust and to ultimately surrender to him. And this is an experience not just for them, but a promise to all. Paul goes on to say in this portion of scripture in Philippians, out of this conviction, my God will supply all of your needs according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. A few weeks ago, we had a a spiritual development day for the worship department, and I shared with them what it looks like to lead from overflow, and I reminded them of this statement that I have kept with me as a reminder for myself, as a checkmark for myself in ministry. And it's just simply this, burnout happens when our doing exceeds our being. And so we can flip this around as well and say overflow happens when our being exceeds our doing. This is not only a vital message to leaders, but also a reminder to us all to make sure that everything is lined up properly in our lives. See, when we feel responsible for the ultimate outcome of every situation, we put ourselves in the place that ultimately only belongs to God. We begin to work and do and go and get out of a scarcity mindset, like there could never be enough. And so I've got to go out and I've got to go get mine. And that leads to worry and anxiety and burnout and ultimately death. But when we are lined up with the right view of God as our ultimate, all-sufficient shepherd, we know his voice and we trust where he is leading us and we can be confident in who he is and in turn who we are in and through him, our doing then flows out of that place with joy, not subject on outcomes. Overflow isn't about outcomes, it's a position of of the heart that's fully surrendered. Do we know the Psalm or do we know the shepherd? Overflow looks like laying down in green pastures because you hunger for nothing and walking beside still waters because you're not thirsty, you have no thirst. It looks like walking through the valley of the shadow of death, not avoiding the valley of the shadow of death. We find ourselves in that place often in our lives, but walking through the valley of the shadow of death with no fear because my shepherd is here with me and there is nothing more comforting than his voice and his presence. 
It looks like sitting down in the safety of a meal and the presence of my enemies and my cup, not just being full, but my cup is overflowing because I know without a shadow of a doubt that my shepherds, goodness and mercy, they're chasing after me every single day of my life. And I will dwell with him now and I will dwell with him forevermore. And so my life circumstance now is framed by that view. I know I will be with him forever. And I keep that truth in view because I know my shepherd. Stand with me this morning. I really just like for us to close our eyes for just a moment. when so many words are said on a Sunday morning in a sermon, and you listen to a long monologue, I feel like there needs to be space to absorb what the Lord wants to say. So if we could just sit for just a moment and just ponder that question. Do I know the psalm, or do I really know the shepherd? shepherd speak to us today reveal places in our hearts where we feel empty Lead us and guide us with your good voice to deeper levels of trust and dependence on you. God, there are those in this place, in this space today that are in the middle of the valley of the shadow of death. Lord, I pray that they would feel so tangibly your presence with them right now the comforting, good, merciful, kind presence of our shepherd walking with them. Lead us into a life of overflow, not in the way the world would measure God, but a life fully trusting, fully dependent on you and who you are. Speak to us, Lord. 
as we are about to come to the table together, speak to us, Jesus. Jesus.